Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Connor Dennis, drummer for the rock band Beartooth. Connor has been touring since he was 15 and is making sure that live rock and roll still rocks. Seriously, he's a basher, but has all the technical prowess in the world to back it up. And he's got an insanely long career ahead of him, and he's already accomplished so much at such a relatively young age. I rarely get to talk to young, hard-hitting rock and rollers in this show, so this is a fun one. Without further ado, Connor Dennis. So we can just hop into it. And the first one is is a record that I every every roommate I've ever had loved this record, and I, I haven't really gotten into it as much as I should. So it's Siamese Dream by Smashing Pumpkins. Came out in 93. Yeah. And and not that I don't like Smashing Pumpkins. I just, um, they're one of those bands that I'm like, one of these days I need to just, you know, have an afternoon off and and jam them. But the song is called Silver Fuck. Yes, yes. Um, The song is called Silver Fuck, which is an epic name for a song. But um, yeah, before we get to the actual song, what about this record appealed to you and where were you when you first heard this? Okay, so this this was like the obvious first choice for me. Um, because mm-hmm. Smashing Pumpkins is the first band I ever remember hearing. Uh, my dad was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan, still is. Um, really a huge fan of all of that stuff. Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, all that kind of stuff. But specifically, Pumpkins was always playing around me since I was like a baby. So I think like my dad has videos of me singing these songs when I was like two. So mm-hmm it's just kind of ingrained in me and it's funny because it's almost like I got to get into this record two separate times because I got into it as a listener when I was a little kid and really never stopped listening to it and always dove deep into everything about it but just as a as a listener and then when I started playing drums I obviously heard it differently mm-hmm. and then as I kept playing drums and getting better and learning more things, I started hearing even more of the craziness that's going on with the drumming on this record. Jimmy is like a very interesting, unique drummer because he comes from a jazz background, but he's obviously playing in, I mean, they're a very all over the place band, but they have a lot of really heavy stuff. So Mm -hmm. hearing a guy like him who plays with incredible dynamics and, does a lot of really intricate little things that are kind of easy to miss, but when you pay attention, it's definitely intentional. Uh, But while doing that, he's also slamming and playing really hard. And, you know, it's a really good mix of like jazz drumming and rock drumming, which there's not really a lot of guys. I mean, at least that I know of that have done that and pull it off on a record. Mm -hmm. Like, it actually complements the songs really well. It's one thing to, you know, see an Instagram video where someone's playing jazz chops in a rock groove or whatever, but to actually make it work and complement the songs, uh, I just think he's kind of the only guy that I've seen really do both of those things so well, and it works for the music. I wanted to pick a song that I felt like kind of highlights all the different things that he does throughout this record and this song being as long as it is what is it's like almost eight minutes maybe yeah yeah. um yeah being as long as it is and having you know so much so many like peaks and valleys like it's 
it comes in pretty hot um and then it slows down and he starts playing he plays that tom groove you know the he plays it so quietly which is really hard to do Mm -hmm. like to bring your dynamics from you are slamming is really hard to do and play clean and then to come down that quiet and his hi-hat is still going the whole time like it's just crazy the the I don't know that the dynamics and just how he can so seamlessly go back and forth from playing really hard and really rocky to playing really soft um, and kind of controlling the whole song in that way. And another interesting thing about it being such a long song and having all these crazy parts is I believe that all of these songs were recorded in one straight take. So, you know, he might've done multiple takes, but whatever made the record was one continuous take straight to tape with no click, which is pretty outrageous. That's sick. It kind of implies that punk rock beat, but it kind of still restrained. Totally. He also has his toms set up really weird. It's 14, yeah. 10, 12. So sometimes um, you can hear that when he rolls across them, it doesn't just go down in pitch, you know? Yeah. I'm sure it's lost on a lot of drummers how effective taking the snare away is to a song. Absolutely. I mean, it just completely, obviously a lot of things dropped out, but yeah, just going to just bass and toms basically. Yeah. And the hi-hat dude. I love that he's always got the hi-hat pulsing. So obviously. around yeah 6 30 something this is about to come back in after a big long long bridge here dude those flams on the the little Tom yep. and snare. Uh. Well, and now it's cool. I, I like the fact that I just jarringly fast forwarded uh, through the song. Cause you can tell that's probably about five or six BPM faster than the very beginning. Oh yeah. Cause at that point the song needs to be a little faster. Yeah. I, I love that about when I hear records that weren't recorded to a click. Um, 
and I, it has its place. Like some songs need to be more kind of solid and consistent. Sure. Uh, but especially with this era and kind of the craziness and just like there's so much going on in all of these songs. I just I love how you kind of like it's like you're listening to it live. You know, it's like you kind of mm-hmm. ride with with the band on what's what's going on in the song. Um, and especially with a drummer like him that it's like, it's definitely intentional. Like if he could, if he wanted to stay relatively at the same tempo, he probably could the whole song. All right. So number two, uh, this one's under oath. And so the album is lost in the sound of separation came out in 2008. And the song you chose, which we'll get to is breathing in new mentality. And it's of course the great Aaron Gillespie on drums. Yeah. So this album, uh, really just Under Oath in general, it's like the first band I can remember listening to kind of in the like metalcore genre, which is what I ended up really diving into and kind of starting my career off in. And I'm kind of still in that world. Um, but, you know, he had one rack tom two floor toms crashing on a huge ride the whole time mm-hmm. uh which was the f- i think he was the first drummer i saw do that where it sounds like such a simple thing but when you're like 12 that can have a big impact where it's like oh i can bash on my you know 22 inch ride over here that's okay i'm allowed to do that you know what i mean yep um, green light and then yeah and then i remember thinking like oh it actually is cool to not have 25 toms up top because like most of us, when I was 11, 12, that's pretty much uh, all I wanted. But yeah, the drumming on this record and this song in particular is pretty aggressive, like from start to finish. Like mm-hmm. he just kind of never lets up. And it's very creative. Like this is the first song on the record. And the groove that he starts with is so Aaron. Like, even without having heard it before, like when I remember when this record came out, because I had become a fan of Under Oath just before this album came out, so I actually got to anticipate it. And I heard the song, and I was like, it literally within two seconds of this song starting, I'm like, that's Aaron being Aaron. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember, uh, I specifically remember sitting down and spending hours and hours and hours trying to learn how to play this song. Yeah, that hi-hat thing. Also, you very unique, like, sonically. Very unique yep. drum sound. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
That roll, man. That was what got me when I was like 12. I could not do it, man. <laughs> I kind of want to go back to that roll now. I want to hear it. Did I go past it? Or it no, it's right here. Yeah, he does yeah. a lot of, uh, on the rest of this record too, he does a lot of like linear stuff, which is kind of the first, this was my introduction to that type of playing, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously very popular now, but at the time it really wasn't. Like a lot of, not a lot of guys were doing this kind of stuff in in this uh, genre. And he does a lot of stuff where he's he's kind of just alternating between his hands and his right foot. Um, a lot of single pedal stuff which is another thing that had a big impact on me is you know i was always playing heavier stuff and always using a lot of double pedal um and i kind of got it kind of became a crutch and then Mm. i heard this record and realized like most of the songs there's really not much double pedal but he's still he's still filling a lot of space you know what i mean like you don't need your feet you don't need to be going <laughs> you know like yeah, yeah you can get creative and fill all that space and and um yeah so i i took a lot of that um from this record and uh i also took lessons with aaron for several years starting shortly after this came out and mm. i remember him telling me that like drop the double pedal try to get comfortable with a single and uh yeah that definitely had a huge impact on my playing yeah how do you how do you look i'm sure you've visited it a few times but how do you view those those videos that a lot of people have seen of you a younger um a younger you taking lessons with aaron i think it's a trip man i i I like going back and watching them every now and then um i just have nothing but great memories from taking lessons with him because he taught me a lot of stuff that you can't really learn from you know your random teacher down the street because Mm -hmm. he was out there touring and doing it so i've kind of had a lot of aha moments like where he told me to work on something and said you know one day you'll be in a studio and they'll ask you to do this or one day you'll be playing live and you'll need to play to a click and you'll be happy you worked on this and all the stuff that he said that about has has uh has been true and has actually happened so so yeah nothing but um but fond memories of all that um so you've gotten a tour with aaron how was describe how that felt yeah so we did a tour together in 2017 um and we've done various you know stuff here and there since then uh it was really cool man it was like you know i was really young when i took those lessons with him so while we had like a, a good relationship, it was more of a kind of mentor, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, oh, we're, we're on the same tour and I don't get me wrong. I still 100% view him in that, in that light. Um, but it was like, cool. It's like, oh, I'm actually here doing the same thing as him. And you know what I mean? And just kind of hanging out and more, uh, in a more casual way. Um, which was really cool, but then still like watching him, I don't think I missed one set on that tour and watching him every night, it still gave me the same 
the same feeling as when I was 12 or 13 or whatever. Um, he just goes so hard every night, like 110% every single show, every song. Uh, and I, I love that about him. Hey y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode. Is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye um, all right. Well, speaking of rock, uh, continuing with rock, uh, Nirvana, Nevermind, and the uh, the song is Breed. The uh, the drummer is, of course, Dave Grohl. So, is this in order of kind of how you got into these drummers? Hundred percent. Yeah. And this is another one, kind of what I said about Siamese Dream. I heard Nevermind and was familiar with the songs and was a fan of the record prior to playing drums, mm-hmm. and then. I'll be completely candid here. Like when I started playing drums, I didn't, it didn't do anything for me. Like when I was 11 playing drums, like I still liked the songs, but I was never like, oh yeah, the drums on, you know, Nevermind are amazing. Like it, I didn't get it when I was 11 because I was mm-hmm. listening to Avenge Sevenfold and, you know, trying to play as fast as possible. So like songwriting, drumming, you know, didn't really do much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I put it where I did because. You know, when I was listening to Under Oath and all that heavy stuff and playing, you know, all this crazy stuff, that's really all I wanted to do. And then I got to a point where I realized, like, there's something to be said about just simple drumming, playing for the song. And what Dave Grohl does, especially on Nevermind, but really on everything he's played on, is he he plays like perfect parts for the song but he's still going so hard like if you watch live videos of nirvana from this era it's like dude he is destroying his gear Mm -hmm. but he's not he's not going crazy as far as what he's playing he's playing it really 
passionately and, you know, playing it 110%, but, but he's not overplaying. And, uh, I would say this is probably the first record where it clicked. I was just listening to it. And I think I had heard so many drummers say Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl, that I felt kind of wrong for not getting it. You know, like I was younger and was like, well, why don't, why doesn't Dave Grohl's drumming, you know, make me go crazy? Like why, why do I, what don't I, what am I missing? Um, and then it just kind of clicked eventually. And, uh, the reason I chose breed is because this is a song. Well, he does this on a lot of songs on this record, but this is a song in particular where he chooses what he's going to play. And he, he is completely 100% consistent throughout the whole song. Um, like at the end, coming out of the chorus, when he's doing that, do, do, got, do, do, got, got, do, do, got, do, do, got, got, you know, he does that every single time. He never mm-hmm. skips it. And I, that's one of the things that kind of clicked with me. Like I was like, I used to always just try and play the craziest thing I could. So it wasn't always consistent. If I had two ideas, oh, I'll do this one on the first time and I'll do this one on the second time. But it's almost like the way that a chorus can be catchy or a melody, whatever, his drumming is like that. Like he'll play something and it really sticks with you and he keeps giving it back to you. He doesn't stop doing it. And I love that about uh, his playing specifically on this record and this song. Also the longest snare roll of all time. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love that. But it sounds like that, you can roll forever. Yeah. Yeah, he gives you what you want, you know? He's, he's, he's very respectful. Yeah. He's a man of the people. Exactly. Even those crash symbols. I don't know. There's some. It's like he plays a very simple part, but I also, again, like kind of like what I said about Aaron. I don't know that anyone else would have played it exactly the same maybe similar i mean i think we would all you know do 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 got do do got you know but there's something about the way that he plays it um even if you listen to like little ghost notes that he throws in like it's hard to not it's actually hard to not play those i think for a lot of us like Mm -hmm. we're kind of always trying to add feel and just kind of jam over it um but he does such a good job at just throwing it in very tastefully. And when you really pay attention and start to pick up on it, it's like, oh, the fact that he doesn't do it all the time makes it really impactful when he does. Absolutely. Does is is he playing quarter notes on the on the open hi hat at the beginning? Is he going do do got do do or is he doing eighth notes? Good question. Let's listen to it again because that's let's listen, it kind of yeah. yeah, I'm just curious. 
think it's just quarter notes. Yeah. And so that's something I would not do. After doing like a 16th note roll, I would just keep going because my wrist would just be like, all right, well, we're right. doing that. But he just goes from that fast to just total. You, know, you have to have a lot of confidence because that's a lot of space as a drummer. Um, totally. Yeah, good point. Uh, I will say, so I was in a band in 2014. It was like a shoegaze band. And we toured Japan for like two weeks. And we always ended our set because we were from Seattle. I'm originally from Seattle. Uh, we ended our set with with Breed. And not that our band wasn't good, but we weren't good. And, uh, you know, between the songs, people would be like, I mean, I'm not sure if you played uh, Japanese audiences, but a lot, it, it, it's not like the screaming after a lot of uh, songs like, like we do in America. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, they're having a good time. And then we'd play Breed. And within just that first guitar part, it would just be pandemonium and it's just a testament to how good that song is um yeah yeah we had to end with the cover because it was like this is the only way for people to go yeah that band was good um (laughs) but yeah so that was breed um all right number four and this one this one's fun so it's led zeppelin uh from the album the song remains the same which is a live record and uh, it's the song rock and roll of course bonzo on the drums yeah so I knew I had to put something with Bonham. Um, beca- and, and the interesting thing about doing five records and that I like is my five drummers might act, would probably be a little different. Mm-hmm. But this is music that's actually done something for me. Not a video or a drum solo here or whatever. It's actually songs. And the thing I like about that is it's like, this is influence. This is stuff that's influenced my playing in the way that's actually like applicable out live or in a studio or whatever. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's not just like, oh, I learned a chop from this guy or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I chose Song Remains the Same because there's not really one Zeppelin record in particular that moves me beyond belief like i i love led zeppelin but it's i mean just honestly it's more like individual songs that have done it for me um but with the song remains the same uh i love what what bonham does live like if you listen to any of these songs and and i chose rock and roll if you go listen to rock and roll and then listen to it on song remains the same there's so many things that he adds live while still serving the song and i think that influenced me a lot because it kind of gave me like it made me feel like I could have some freedom playing live like oh you can you don't have to just play exactly what it is on the record but also don't go too nuts and ruin the song <laughs> like yeah you know and he he does a really good job with that like he adds a lot of stuff but um it's mostly stuff that like a drummer would pick out to a normal listener it's like the song just still feels really good and i mm-hmm. i always thought um, that was a really cool way to go about playing live. I don't, I don't really ever like to play the same thing two nights in a row, like note for note. I always like to change it up a little bit and the way that I'll play a show will, will change based on how the show is going, what the crowd is, you know, what the crowd's energy is like. Um, and all of that will kind of influence what I'm playing. And I feel obviously I can't speak on his behalf, but I, I feel like that's kind of how he approached it. You watched different live clips and listen to different live albums like he never plays the same exact thing twice he's just kind of going and jamming um 
playing off the cuff yet still serving the song and playing like pretty much a perfect part for yeah. the song. 100%. All right, here's rock and roll. You can hear Jimmy Page is like, come on, dude, let's speed up a little bit. He's like, nah, man, yeah. we're just going to chill tonight. I was just going to say that. Yeah, his little bombastic fill at the end of that little break coming up is like, oh, yeah, out of time. I know that this is a good example of that little lonely, lonely. He probably does that kind of coming back in different every time he played it. Yeah. But that that last one you heard where he just does like the Motown beat and the downbeat is probably my favorite choice he does coming into that. Uh, yeah. It just always sounds so fucking good. Yeah. I love how he how he plays this song on this from this particular show. And, and also while we were listening to it. It reminded me something I said about Jimmy Chamberlain about the jazz influence in rock. Bonham has that too in a different way, but because I know Bonham's favorite drummer was Tony Williams, mm. which I think is why he had the dots on his drums and cranked them up, um, which kind of became his sound, right? Because typically, obviously, rock drums are not tuned like that. Um, but he tuned his drums like that, but still played with you know, high energy, hard hitting rock stuff. Um, and he also does a lot of linear stuff, uh, a little more like basic stuff, but even the the one fill he does that that's kind of out of time a little bit when he goes, bah, da-ga, 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 you know, doing that with his feet. Like, it's just crazy how uh, you listen back to some of these guys. Like this, this show is what 74 or something like, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Around there. And then it was released three years later. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like how ahead of their time they were. Like you mm. think this dude was doing that that long ago. Like listen to go listen to other records from that time. Like he's doing stuff that no one else is doing. And it's kind of easy to overlook now because a lot of people do a lot of the stuff that he played now, but like now we have YouTube with a million videos showing you how to do it and people have had what 40 something years to pick it apart and figure it out. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just crazy that he was doing what he was doing when he was doing it. You know, like that always blows my mind. 
Yeah, and that's that's kind of like what I was saying before we started recording about how some drummers are nervous to talk about these people that for your generation is like, well, I mean, of course, we always talk. But it's like, no, there's young people, because you and me are still young guys, but there are drummers, yeah. believe it or not, that are younger than us. And uh, unless people keep talking about these legends, they might not be as in the zeitgeist as, as they should, you know, and go to the source, totally. which is Bonzo. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm not sure if I would, if I've cut it out at this point, but while the song was playing, it's so apparent how he starts off the song at a certain tempo. And I think maybe I'm speaking for myself. I would kind of rush it a little bit when the guitar comes in because you're like, oh, here's the energy. But Bonzo always mm -hmm. had that ability. And I think I'm quoting maybe Rick Beato, but he has intensity, but he still has a lot of restraint. He's always on the backside of the beat, but still you're excited about pushing forward. And I don't know how he did it, but it's, uh, it's incredible. Totally. And he, he, he shows that with like controlling the rest of the band too. Like it's, it's crazy to think you're, he's in a band with Jimmy Page, right? Pretty good guitar <laughs> yeah. player. And yeah. he's literally pulling the dude back like so often. It's, it's really apparent on, um, on a few different songs. Uh, and actually even from the other live record they have, uh, how the West was one. There's a couple songs on there where Jimmy Page starts with a riff and he's playing so fast. Bonham comes in as if he doesn't even pay any attention to the tempo that Jimmy Page is playing. He just comes in at the right tempo and then the rest of the band has to slow back down to match what he's doing, which is so badass. Like just controlling the band like that, man, it's just incredible. All right, so number number five and this this one's a really fun one to kind of loop back to dave Grohl, though it's not dave on on drums it is taylor hawkins but foo fighters uh the album's wasting light from 2011 and the song is rope yeah so i felt like i had to throw a taylor hawkins record in um because he's so great man and i mean i know he gets a lot of credit but like being in a band with dave Grohl, i do feel like his genius gets overlooked a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I I view him like in the same kind of category as Dave with just kind of just quintessential rock drumming, you know, like it, he just plays what should be played. Um, however, I think he's a little more polished and kind of a little more like, I don't want to say clean because Dave pretty much plays perfect all the time, but it's a little less like it's a little more just type A rock drumming, you know what I mean? Uh, but still very creative, uh, still very hard hitting, um, and to me Taylor is like the king of little tiny nuances that once I pick up on them, it changes the song. Like, mm -hmm. and this is this song is a great example. Um, the little hi hat lift that he does. Like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know about. exactly and, what you're talking about. Yeah, and we'll point it out when you play the song. But that little hi-hat lift, man, like, it, it has such an impact. And he does it in the same spot. And he does it again on the next verse. Like, same thing that we said about, about Grohl, about kind of giving you what you want to hear. Um, and he also, it's a very interesting groove with the crash kind of placed on a weird spot. You know, the do-ka-do-ka-do-do-ka-do-ka-do-ka-do-do-do, whatever. Um I always like that in the second – I don't know if it's the second half or if it's it, – maybe it comes in on like the last quarter of the verse. 
Um, but he starts adding ghost notes in mm-hmm. between. It's kind of like it's kind of like the pre-chorus, I guess. He starts adding those little ghost notes. And again, like when I'll sit down and jam the song, it feels natural for me to put those in from the, from the get-go, like right from the beginning. It feels good to put those in. But the fact that he waited and then decides to put them in where he does makes them have an impact. If they were just going the whole song, that's just the groove. Mm-hmm. But since he throws them in at a certain spot, it kind of it brings that part of the song up a little bit. Um, and that's that's really cool. And I, I like to think that he's mindful of that. He knows what he's doing when he chooses to put it there, you know? Well, going back to what you're saying about the crash symbols, uh, this song is a good example of taking something simple and what can you add almost in like, in like a laughable way that would make it a little bit different. And um, I'm just going to play the whole song because there's obviously that kind of drum break towards the end. And he goes, deca, 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 deca. But he adds the deca, dutch, deca, dutch, the one E and uh. He adds like the crash symbol with that bass drum on the uh. Uh, yeah. and it's, it's something that is so simple, but it sounds so badass that I don't think I would have thought of it. Cause maybe if I did, I'm like, that doesn't go on the, uh, it's not, not, not what you yeah, do. Yeah, Cause you might, you might play, but you're not putting a crash exactly. with that kick. Yeah. It's and very the, interesting. And, and the first drum break, it's like, there's just silence and it's like, you're in a band, you're drumming behind Dave Grohl, da, 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 nothing. It's Nothing. like that's so, yeah. which is that's it's so funny to me. It's 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 almost like they were laughing when they, you know, Dave's like, all right, man, I'm gonna do these hits. So just like do your thing in the studio, and Taylor's like, all right, for the first hit, I'm gonna make Dave laugh, and yeah. that's what he did. And Dave's like, don't, dude, that's the part. In in my head, that's what that's what happens. So I I like I like that way of uh, <laughs> of picturing it. It's the fourth one here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then here's where he adds the ghost notes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about this. It's kind of a nod to uh, a little, little nihilism. Yeah.
Was this the one they recorded in Dave's like garage? It was all yeah. the tape? All the straight, straight to tape, yeah. Pretty badass. It's a great performance. Love that. I love that too. He does, you know, do do ga do do ga da da. And then the second one, just a crash on the one. Yeah. This is a great fill too. So, I mean, Taylor has to deal with something that you have to deal with a lot with, with Caleb, is knowing that there's a drummer that you're behind that is amazing. Um, I mean, how do you feel about that relationship? Is it nerve-wracking, or are you happy that you have a drummer in the band that can... I love it because... I love it because he, like, gets and appreciates things, like, on this level. You know what I mean? Like, he, he gets and appreciates that little hi-hat lift or you know all this stuff we're talking about um and when we play live it just makes it really fun like we kind of have this interactive thing going on throughout the show where i'll play something and i'm kind of sometimes i'm even trying to get his attention kind of for fun you know like sure uh uh, not not in an arrogant way but just in like a you know i'll play something knowing like if he if he catches this he's gonna turn around and, and look at me you know what i mean um and yeah, and it's really cool, and it's uh, it's cool because I pick up stuff from his playing as well, you know? Obviously, I mean, because he plays on all the records, so obviously I'm playing his parts, um, but he kind of lets me do do my thing with them. Obviously, I don't completely change the songs, uh, but when we play live, at, at this point, especially with the songs that we've been playing for years, I kind of have, you know, my own way of playing them, Um and I think it's really cool that he, that he is cool and encouraging for me to to do that with, you know, kind of his songs, um, and that that makes it really fun, and especially since, like I said, he's a drummer who actually understands, you know, a lot of, you know, everything that I'm playing and stuff. It makes it really fun um, to play different things and kind of bounce ideas off each other and have that that interaction live. It makes the live show. Um, just a, just a good time. Well, it's fun too, because it allows people to, and maybe I'm, I'm putting words in fans mouths, but I'm sure there are some fans that are like, Oh, I actually prefer the live version of this song, but I prefer the record version of this song. You know, having two different drummers do it, it allows the song to have more lives, um, in the best possible way. Totally. And I, I know that that's something that Caleb's talked about before is how he he doesn't want the live show to just be we're just playing the songs like he he's always kind of made it a point that the live show is a a specific you know experience different from listening to the record and i think that's why he's so so cool with like hey just play what you want you know within reason mm-hmm. but like he he trusts me to do my thing 
um, while still serving the song. Uh, and that goes for kind of the whole band, man. Like we, we all add little things here and there and you know how it goes. Like after you play a song so many times live, there's certain things that you made, maybe you do it once and then you do it again next week. And then it becomes a thing that just becomes a part of the song, you know, like switching up, switching a part to halftime or doubling the bridge and whatever, you know, like little things like that. Um, and that's where I feel like I really get to do kind of my own thing, uh, which makes the live show like really fulfilling for me, you know, like, okay, I get to add my own flavor here and kind of get that, get that creative itch scratched, I guess, you know? Yeah. All right, Connor. Well, thanks for being the show, man. Uh, let you go, but I will talk to you soon and have a good day. All right. Sounds good. Later. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, Anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.